So I want to invite you to stand um, to reverence the reading of God's word as I read from Matthew chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Whoa, there's a lot of people here. Whoa, yes. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. Um, which is the season that we've been observing in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Very exciting. Um, Advent is all about waiting and expectancy, and it's this special, special season in which we don't just wait, but we long for Jesus. We do this in solidarity with the church throughout history. We actively look for Jesus in our daily living. And we anticipate Jesus coming back in the fullness of God's kingdom. There's just a lot going on in this season. It's not just about waiting. So our Advent theme this year has been making room. So you can see, making room. In the past two weeks, we've explored um, how we make room in our waiting for hope and for love. And today we're looking at joy, how we make room for joy. So as you've kind of heard, today's service is a little bit different, which is really exciting. In a few minutes, um, we're going to have the kids do the bulk of our teaching by presenting a nativity play that they have worked really hard on. So as we get started, I want to acknowledge a couple of things. One, they gave me like 10 minutes to talk about joy, which I feel like is a huge thing to unpack at Christmas time. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, two, I also recognize that we have many guests here this morning, uh, including my parents and my in-laws are here, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys aren't here for me, you're here for the kids, um, and that I'm the only thing standing in between you and the kids you came to see. Um, and they're wearing like really cute barnyard animal costumes. Um, it's going to be the best. So yes, it's coming. It's coming. So we're going to talk a little bit about joy, and then we're going to have some joy. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So bear with me. So we're going to spend just a few minutes um, just kind of unpacking joy um, and, and talking about it. So our scripture today, which Matthew read, 
is a familiar part of the Christmas story um, in which the Magi, or the wise men, they seek Jesus by following a star. And in the scripture, we're told of their joy. And the joy is so great that it actually overwhelmed them. Um, I feel like the word joy just gets like thrown around at Christmas time, like Christmas joy. Um, like I see it in ads and stuff, which is kind of weird. Um, one particular one I saw this year was uh, the department store Kohl's. Use the word joy. Their, their tagline is give joy, get joy. <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of nice, I guess. Um, except they're using it to get people to buy stuff. Um, and they're equating joy with Kohl's cash, which is like some kind of coupon that you get if you spend a certain amount of money that you can exchange for more stuff at a later date. Um, like even the logo itself is like making it rain, not, not with real cash, but with Kohl's cash. Um, just the joy, just making it rain the Kohl's cash. Um, it's like buy people stuff so that you can buy yourself more stuff. Joy. That's joy. I mean, I know that you've heard this before. I've heard this before when we talk about joy at Christmas. We've, as a, as a culture and as a society, we've redefined joy as, as like happiness or um, like a good feeling. And, and by doing this, we've really diluted its real meaning, what joy really is. We've made joy into this thing that we make for ourselves by pursuing happiness. So I'm reading through a couple of books for Advent. Um, one of them is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by Eugene Peterson. It's super good. Um, you, you, should, you should read it. But um, I, I read as I prepared this little chapter on joy. And what he wrote is so profound, um, has been so revealing to me about myself um, and, and I want to share some of it with you today. I, I can't explain it better than Eugene Peterson, um, so I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to read you a little chunk of what, he, um, of what he writes about the joy that we've created for ourselves. So this is, this is what he writes. A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt, to get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends, get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks, get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships, and then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic songs, actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. This is counterfeit joy. This is not the real stuff. And that the way that we can tell the difference, we should be able to tell that it's the fake stuff because it actually emanates from neediness and produces selfishness. That's counterfeit joy. Real joy is not a product of neediness, it's a product of abundance. God is the ultimate abundance, and therefore God is the source of real joy. 
In the Bible, joy is often talked about in relation to God. So the joy of the Lord, the joy of God's salvation, the joy of God's presence, God as joy. We just sang about it. You give me joy, joy to the world, joy from God to the world. God is the source of joy. We don't cultivate it. We don't create it. We don't conjure up joy. We receive it. We receive it as a gift. The way we experience joy is by recognizing its counterfeit and making room for the real kind. I think the ultimate test to determine what kind of joy we're pursuing is seeing how the joy holds up when bad things happen. So counterfeit joy, I think, folds pretty quickly when there's no money or you've lost your job or you're in an accident or an important relationship <laughs> deteriorates. Counterfeit joy has nothing to say in the face of tragedy, multiple shootings in our neighborhood, systemic racism, children dying at the border. Counterfeit joy has nothing to say and cannot stand. If the required cost of, of our joy is a rejection or a denial of all the bad things in the world, we have to ask ourselves if that joy is real. Because real joy holds strong in the midst of hardship and struggle and sorrow because it's sustained by God. Real joy holds its weight when it's faced with tragedy and injustice. Joy and suffering, joy and sorrow, joy and lament can exist side by side. They can run parallel because real joy is not contingent on circumstances or feelings. Real joy doesn't allow us to be overtaken by those things. It holds its own. We can see this in, in Jesus and even in Jesus' life. One of the prophecies that, uh, that we read at Christmas time, even in Isaiah 53, calls Jesus a man of sorrows or a man of suffering. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised. He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. Jesus' earthly plight was full of <coughs> sorrow and disappointment. People were constantly disappointing Jesus. He suffered. This is what we talk about every, every week. But in Scripture also says, in Hebrews, we read that Jesus endured this because the joy set before him. It was a joy set before him. These two things ran parallel even in Jesus' earthly plight. And Jesus himself teaches this. In Matthew 5, the section that we call the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those. Jesus names this coexistence. So the Greek word translated in Matthew 5 as blessed, so blessed are whoever, uh, the, the Greek word is makadios. And it can also be translated as joyful or full of joy. And so I think when you, when you recognize this, you read it differently. So it's, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Joyful are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Filled with joy are those who mourn. This is the real kind of joy, because it's the kind that surprises us in the midst of hard things. In our passage today, we know that the joy that shows up in the wise men is the real kind, because it shows up in the midst of hard things. Like, it shows up like light, like a little light in the midst of darkness. So before the birth of Jesus, God had not sent anything new to God's people, not a prophet, nothing, 
for 400 years. It was a, a silence. The joy of the wise men in this chapter in Matthew 2 signals a break in that silence. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. The joy described here shows up in the midst of, of Roman occupation, the oppression of Judea, the people in Judea, which is where the story takes place. The Magi are overwhelmed by joy so great that it makes itself known even in the midst of, a, of King Herod, who was a tyrant, and he had this crazy reign, and he was super paranoid about losing power that had drove him to systemic infanticide. That's in the Bible. That's in the story. This joy shows up in the middle of that. Counterfeit joy does not hold a candle to that kind of darkness. Real joy does not diminish the reality of darkness in the world. Instead, it shows up like a light in the middle of that darkness, reminding us that it's there. It is not snuffed out by the hard things of the world. Um, in Asian American theology, there's this emphasis and this focus on um, the concept of liminality, which is being uh, in an in-between space. It's like having um, one foot in two camps. So you're not fully in one or the other, but you're certainly in both. And it's this weird in-between space. But that's the kind of space that we're living in now, right? Like, it's a liminal space. At Advent, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate God with us. And still we anticipate his coming. The kingdom of God is, is here and also not yet here. We're in the in-between. Joy and sorrow, light and darkness still coexist. But what we celebrate and wait for simultaneously in this season is the day when the light will completely overtake the darkness. There will be no shadowy places because God is the light. And in God, there is no darkness. And this is where real joy comes from. Real joy emanates from the very being of God. So my prayer for us this season is that we're not fooled into settling for counterfeit joy but that we can make room for the real kind of joy that God offers to us. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift of joy. Thank you that it's even something that, that we can try to experience, try to understand, even when it's hard. We ask God that as we celebrate and anticipate this season of Advent, that you would be clearly showing us how to recognize fake joy, the kind that doesn't come from you. Would you help us make room for the kind of joy you want us to experience, which just comes from you? 
Thank you for this season that we can celebrate and wait. Thank you that even in our weird in-between space, there is there's reason to know that it, it won't be in between forever. And thank you that we get to celebrate that. God, would you, would you allow us to experience your joy even this morning, even with whatever we've brought in with us this morning to church? Would you just take away all our attempts at cultivating and creating joy for ourselves and help us to make room for you? Amen.